Well, here we are more than halfway through with our study through the life of David, looking at the heart of David. David started as a shepherd. He was a warrior. He was on the run. But now David is king. And finally, after five weeks, we see David in his kingdom where peace and prosperity are reigning. And what's interesting is when David gets to this point in his life where there is peace in the land, it looks like it gives David a chance to just sit back and breathe, to have some time to think and reflect and meditate. And I don't know about you, but often I find in my life that when I have a few minutes or a few days, sometimes a week to get away and just breathe and think and reflect, that's when the Lord speaks to me about what's next. Where, where do I go from here? What What is left undone that I should be focusing on? And I think that's what God does to David in this time of peace as he takes a minute to reflect on where he is, where he's been, how far God's brought him. He thinks back to his relationship with Saul and Saul's son, who became one of his best friends, Jonathan. You see, early on when Saul was still king and David was friends with Jonathan, but both knew that David was going to be the next king, they both approached David at different times and said, David, we know you're going to be king. And when you're king, we just want you to remember our families, take care of our families, look out after our families. And so during this time of peace and prosperity, as David's reflecting on his rule and reign, he takes a minute and says, you know, have I done that? David has a desire to honor that promise that he had made to both Saul and Jonathan to show kindness to their household and to their families. And that's where we come today in the text we're going to look at in 2 Samuel chapter 9. So if you got your Bible, your phone, whatever you're not watching this on, uh, go with me there because 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 9 uh, starts an incredible story about the kindness of David and the kindness of David's heart. It's a word, kindness, that you're going to see several times in this chapter. But as we kind of look at this, it's more than just kindness. It's a word that means grace. The word kindness that we're going to read is the Hebrew word kased. And that word is really kind of the Old Testament equivalent of our New Testament word grace. And we're going to see this desire to show grace and this showing of grace that comes from David as an amazing lesson for us today. So we're going to pick up this story of David's heart of kindness, his heart of grace in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. Would you read it with me? This is what we read. It says, now David asked, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Right, so, so there's our word, David's question. Is there anyone remaining that I can show kindness to, that I can show grace to? And what's great is David doesn't ask, is there anyone from their family that sided with us? Is there anyone from their family that's in a, pow- a position of power or authority? Is there anyone in their family worthy? Is there anyone in their family qualified? He says, no, is there anyone in their family that I can show grace to. We'll keep reading in chapter two, or in verse two. It says, now there was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba, and they summoned him to David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? I am your servant, he replied. So the king asked, is there anyone left in Saul's family that I can show, here's our word, the kindness of God to? And Ziba said to the king, well, there is still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. 
And the king asked him, where is he? And Ziba answered the king, you'll find him in Lodibar at the house of Machir, son of Amiel. So this is kind of the story that gets going as David is seeking out this opportunity to keep his word, to show kindness, to show grace to Saul and Jonathan's family. They summon this servant named Zabir or Ziba who had served uh, Saul's court. And they bring Ziba to David and David says, do you know of anybody? And he says, there's one guy. There's one guy, and we're going to learn that this guy's name is Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. But there's two things about Mephibosheth that, that we learn that are important in how we understand the story. Number one, Ziba says that Mephibosheth was injured in both of his feet. Matter of fact, if you were to go just a few chapters earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, you'll learn that Mephibosheth's feet were injured as they attempted to flee uh, the capital from David's army and he fell and, uh, and w- became disabled in his feet. And not only that, now Mephibosheth is living in a land called Lodibar. Now that doesn't mean a lot to you, quite honestly. It doesn't necessarily mean a lot to me, except for the fact that that word Lodibar in Hebrew means no, and debar means pasture. So literally this place was called no pasture. We can imagine it was a place of desolation, a place of emptiness, a barren wasteland, you may think. And that's where Mephibosheth is. And so when David learns of Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth, he makes a request. Let's keep reading in verse five. It says, So King David had him brought from the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell face down, and paid homage. David said, Mephibosheth, I'm your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. And Mephibosheth paid homage and said, Well, what is your servant that you would take an interest in a dead dog like me? You love his humility here, right? He doesn't just say he's a dog. To quote our Lake City location pastor, A.J. Stevens, he's not just a dog, he's a dead dog. Why would you show me this kindness? It says, and then the king summoned Saul's attendant Ziba and said to him, I have given to your master's grandson all that belonged to Saul and his family. You, your sons and your servants are to work the ground for him and you are to bring in the crops so that your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson is always to eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, your servant will do all that the Lord my king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, just like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all those living in Ziba's house were Mephibosheth's servants. However, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. His feet had been injured. So you can imagine as, as you read this story, all the emotions that must have been going through David and Mephibosheth. Here is David who had Saul, this guy's grandfather, make him live years on the run in the wilderness for his life because Saul was trying to have David murdered. 
But then also, this isn't just Saul's grandson, this is Jonathan's son. And Jonathan's was David's best friend. It was a man that David loved, a man who had protected David and looked out for him. So yes, this is Saul's grandsons, but this is David's son, and, or Jonathan's son, and David has him summoned. And Mephibosheth, just think about what he had to be going through. He was probably freaking out when David called him. If you know anything about ancient Near Eastern kingdoms, and really for that matter, kingdoms throughout history, the previous king's household does not often fare well under a new king's household, right? Because royalty was passed down uh, through the lineage of the family. And so when a new family came to power, typically the old family was wiped out so there could be no other claims to the throne. And so when Mephibosheth hears that David needs to see you, David desires to see you, that you're summoned to see the king, I can't imagine the fear that rushed through his heart. I can't imagine what he thought that he was walking into. Punishment at the best, exile, death at the worst. But Mephibosheth is is brought to David. But in reality, the king who had every right to slay him decided to save him instead. Instead of exiling him, instead of killing him, instead of imprisoning him, He says, no, I'm going to bring you into my family. You're going to eat at my table like one of my sons. And everything that your grandfather lost, I'm going to give back to you. Wow. What kindness. What grace. Now, I think the reason that this passage is so powerful, the reason that the grace here is so amazing, it's because David's kindness or grace toward Mephibosheth is a beautiful picture of the kindness, the grace that Jesus extends to each one of us. Matter of fact, I'm not sure there is a clearer picture in the entirety of the Old Testament of the grace of Jesus toward us as David's grace toward Mephibosheth here in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Let's just think about it. We could talk about this forever, but let's just think of a few ways that we can see this. Number one, Mephibosheth, like all of us, was totally undeserving of the king's kindness, right? He had done nothing to earn it. He wasn't seeking it out. He was a uh, part of the enemy's family, lame, broken, disabled. He was by birth an enemy of the king. He was broken and lame as as, as his attempts to run away from the king's rule. And that's where we are as sinners, right? There is nothing in us that deserves the grace of Jesus. We are by birth enemies of the king and our lives are broken and ruined because of our attempts to run away from the king's rule in our life. Second thing is though Mephibosheth had nothing, he deserved nothing and could repay nothing, but the king sought him out and found him. Now what a picture right? Like Mephibosheth, we have nothing. We deserve nothing. We can never repay Jesus for anything, but yet he himself came to this earth, wrapped himself in human flesh to take our place on our cross so that we might be saved. We don't bring anything to the table. Just like Mephibosheth, the only thing that we bring to the table is our need. David, number three, showed grace to Mephibosheth because of his love for Jonathan. 
Matter of fact, if you go back and look at verse 1 that we read together, it says, Is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? So David showed grace to Mephibosheth because of his love for Jonathan. And it's important for us to remember that God shows grace to us because of his love for his son and the price that he paid on the cross. Now this, take just a second, is incredibly important. Because if you think that God's love for you is based on you, you're going to be unstable for the rest of your faith journey because when you're doing well, you will feel worthy of his love. When you're not doing well and you're falling and you're broken, then you're not going to feel worthy of his love. But it's important for us to remember that God's love for us is not based on us. It's based on his love for his son. And I can imagine that same thing brought Mephibosheth uh, some comfort as he understood it as well. See, David loved Mephibosheth, not for Mephibosheth's own sake, but because he loved Jonathan. And Jonathan was his friend, and he was going to keep his word to Jonathan. So because of that, Mephibosheth was safe. And maybe the last thing, maybe the clearest thing, is that David restored Mephibosheth from a place of barrenness to a place of honor. He took this broken disabled person from a hiding place and brought him into the very presence of the king. Isn't that what Jesus has done for each one of us? He has taken us from the brokenness of our sin and brought us into his very family. We are now not slaves or servants, but we are sons and daughters of the king. So when we think of the amazing grace that David showed to Mephibosheth, who did not earn it, did not deserve it, could never repay it, what we're supposed to see is the grace that Jesus has shown us, that as sinners undeserving of his grace, he still freely lavishes it upon us. But here's the thing, as amazing as that grace is, far too often it goes unrealized and unaccepted. And I get it. That seems shocking. Like, why would anybody ever refuse or reject this kind of grace? Well, as a matter of fact, if you were to keep reading in 2 Samuel, immediately after this astounding picture of grace in chapter 9, we are given an account of David's kindness being rejected in chapter 10. Now, for the sake of time, we don't have time to read the story, but what happens is the king of the Ammonites, who were enemies of Israel, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son, Hanan, becomes the king in his place. And so David, once again, and it says it right there in chapter 10, verse 2, decides to show kindness to Hanan and sends emissaries from his kingdom to the Amorites with condolences. And when they arrive, the Amorite leaders, the council, the advisors, advised Hanan, cautioned Hanan, that this was a trick, that they were really spies. David was planning an attack. He couldn't be this kind. And so what Hanan does is he shaves off the beard, or at least half of the beard, of the people that David sent, cut their clothes in half at the hips, and sent them away as a means of embarrassing and disgracing them. And so David's response was, well, if you're not going to receive my grace, then get ready. He sends his elite troops to the Ammonites. He defeated the Ammonites. He defeated their allies, killing 600 charioteers and over 40,000 soldiers. And what's crazy is both chapters begin the same way. Chapter 9, Mephibosheth 
totally undeserving of grace, but David purposes in his heart to show grace. Chapter 10, Hanan, totally undeserving of grace, David purposes in his heart to show grace, uh, and yet Mephibosheth accepts it, and Hanan rejects it. And it may seem crazy to us that grace would be rejected like this. Like, why would anybody ever do that? But I'm afraid that more often than any of us realize, we are prone to do the same thing. Here's what I mean specifically. We are prone to reject the grace that Jesus freely offers us, right? So if in chapter nine, the picture is David's grace to Mephibosheth is a picture of Jesus' grace to us, and chapter 10 is that grace being rejected, we are to be warned and to take caution that we do not also reject the grace of Jesus. So I think that begs the question then, how do we reject that grace. What does that look like? Because I don't think any of us would ever say, no, I don't want it. What does that look like then when we reject it? Well, see, I think our rejection of grace can take many forms and many variations, um, but we recognize some of these, right? Like it, it may come when we believe the lies of the enemy and the lies of people around us that we could never be loved, that we could never be forgiven, that we will never be truly accepted. And so we reject the grace, believing it's a false offer and that we could never deserve it, right? Um, maybe the second way that we reject grace is when we run from that offer of grace, we run from the offer of forgiveness that Jesus offers because in our hearts, we know that we would have to be changed on the other side of it. I see people all the time who refuse to accept the grace of Jesus because they know the demands it would place on their life and what they would have to give up on the other side. Or maybe the way that we reject grace is by brushing off our need for grace. We believe that we don't have a need for grace and that we can take care of ourselves. And I'm sure there's many other ways that we reject grace, but as I'm thinking about it, those are like three big ones, right? Uh, well, we don't deserve it. We could never be forgiven. Uh, we don't need it. We don't need to be forgiven. And then we don't want to be forgiven because if we do, we'd have to change. And I think the root of all of these rejections of grace is the same, though. It's the root of pride, right? We are too prideful to admit our need for grace. Can I tell you, there are people who go to church in different churches all across this country who do not know Jesus and have not been saved because they've never been willing to admit they were lost and needed to be saved. So our pride keeps us from receiving grace and we reject it. Think secondly, we're too prideful to give up our selfish and sinful desires right? We refuse the offer of forgiveness because we know that it would demand we be changed and we're just not willing to give it up because we want those things more than we want grace. Pride. And then maybe you say, well, Chip, I get that those two are about pride, but how can not thinking you're worthy be prideful? Well, it's because we're too prideful to realize that we're not so special, that we're not so especially bad that Jesus can't or won't forgive us. That's a subtle sense of pride, too. If you think you're beyond saving, that is pride and your uniqueness, speciality, or how bad you are. And the truth is that Jesus can and will save anyone who repents of their sin and puts their faith in him. So I think the question that we're left to deal with at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 9 and 10 is what are you going to do with the grace that you've been offered, right? Like Mephibosheth, like Hanun, you have been offered grace. You don't deserve it. You can't repay it. But Jesus sees you 
and extends grace to you that you may be forgiven of your sins and made a part of the king's family to live with him forever. What are you going to do with that grace? Will you accept it? Will you come to the place in your life where you admit that this is a grace you need even though you don't deserve it, but that you gladly receive it, turning from your sin and your selfish desires and saying, Jesus, would you save me? Jesus, would you, bring, would you make me new? Would you bring my heart to life? Jesus, would you make me a part of your family? Will you accept the grace that Jesus freely offers? And once you accept it, will you live in it? You know, how crazy would it have been if Mephibosheth, hearing this offer of grace from King David, decides to go back to Lodabar? Oh, it'd be great to sit at the king's table, but I'm going back to a place of desolation. It just doesn't make sense. And yet far too many of us do that exact same thing. When we have been offered so much grace, we may say that we receive it, but then we refuse to live in it. So my challenge to you today is will you accept the grace that you've freely been offered? Maybe you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior. Right now, this minute, we have people who are waiting to help walk you through that. How you can know today that after this life is over, you will spend an eternity with Him. Even though you don't deserve it, it's a gift He freely offers. Reach out to us right now. Comment, message us, click the live prayer button. We want to talk to you about that. Or maybe you'd say, Chip, I've done that. I've trusted Jesus as my Savior, but I'm having a hard time living in this new grace. We're here for that too. Myself, pastors at all of our locations, we would love to talk with you about that and help you to more fully understand the amazing grace that we've been offered. Let me pray for you. God, thanks for the time that you've given us today and this amazing picture of grace we have in the life of David. So God, I pray as we see David's grace toward Mephibosheth that we would be reminded of the grace that you have shown us God, and that we would not reject it, we would not run from it, we would not abandon it, but we would see it for what it is as an amazing gift that we don't deserve and can never repay, and that we would be able to live in the gift that we've been freely offered. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.